I'm Alexia Russell and welcome to the Details Long Read. This week, a story from RNZ's climate change correspondent, Eloise Gibson. How did New Zealand come to invest $29 million in a Bezos-backed methane satellite space plan that will not improve New Zealand's methane estimates? It's got some big players involved. The US giant non-profit Environmental Defence Fund, our own space agency Rocket Lab, and in the middle, a clutch of Kiwi scientists who tried to warn the government that this space mission wasn't all it's cracked up to be. Eloise is in the studio with us to read her story herself and to unpack it a little with us. Kia ora, Eloise. Kia ora, Alexia. Take us away. Do I have a deal for you? Those words, or something like them, are how Rocket Lab founder Peter Beck first introduced the idea of New Zealand putting millions of dollars towards a US-based satellite mission, according to emails released to RNZ under the Official Information Act. It was 2018 when US non-profit Environmental Defence Fund, or EDF, approached the New Zealand government to invest in its MethaneSat project which aims to detect and shut down rogue methane emissions spewing from oil and gas activities. If successful, it could make a rapid dent in global heating. EDF was looking for funding and practical involvement from an international partner. New Zealand was looking for a space mission to take part in. Beck was hoping Rocket Lab would win the contract to launch the satellite from Mahia on the remote east coast of the North Island. Two of those things happened, one didn't. Rocket Lab didn't win the contract. The satellite grew too big for it to launch and it ended up going to US-based SpaceX. But New Zealand pitched in $29.3 million and as a result won the right to host the mission control. Rocket Lab got the contract to establish that and will later hand control of it to the University of Auckland. While this was unfolding, claims about what the satellite could do for methane from farming within New Zealand evolved considerably. Its true powers won't be known until after it launches next year. In the meantime, here's how New Zealand came to fund a mission whose purpose is mainly tracking emissions from drilling oil and gas, a different sort of methane from what we emit. According to documents, one of the first approaches came via the head of Hawke's Bay Regional Council, whose councillor Tom Balford used to work for EDF. He told the New Zealand Space Agency, which is inside the Ministry for Business Innovation and Employment, that EDF was considering Rocket Lab as a launch partner. But, he wrote, whether this happened or not would partly depend on, quote, what other inducements and programme involvement might be part of the relationship. Staff at the Space Agency saw potential to position New Zealand as a serious player in space science. They told RNZ last week their interest was never contingent on Rocket Lab launching the satellite. They were more interested in boosting the wider space industry. But aside from space skills, they had climate change in mind. Documents show they thought the mission might appeal to the government as a way to show international leadership on climate change and specifically methane. Methane-laced livestock burps make up an unusually large proportion of the country's climate footprint. At first, the agency believed the satellite would be a tool to give New Zealand more accurate measurements of the methane coming from its fields of burping, roaming sheep and cattle, 
and figure out if efforts by farmers to tackle the gas from their livestock were working. Here's how agency staff explained what they believed methane sap would do to their counterparts at the Ministry for the Environment in 2018. Quotes, The satellite will be able to detect emissions from agriculture and, importantly, should be able to provide data that would enable more precise measurement of methane emissions in New Zealand and help inform policy related to agricultural emissions, they wrote. Incidentally, this was a big ask for a sensor in orbit around planet Earth, operating at methane-sat's level of resolution. While leaks from the oil and gas industry make big, clear plumes of methane, accurately measuring the collected burps of spread-out herds of individual cattle is another matter. After doing more scoping, space officials quickly realised the mission would not do this. But New Zealand's involvement still leans heavily on its big share of livestock methane. When the Space Agency asked New Zealand scientists for feedback, specialists at Niwa Manaki Whenua Landcare Research and the New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Alliance each replied with variations of the same message, which was that detecting farming methane at all would be at the limits of the satellite's capabilities and methane sat would not be able to track year-on-year changes at the level required to meet New Zealand's climate target, which is cutting methane emissions by 10% by 2030. These scientists told the space agency the mission was hopelessly oversold for agriculture and would not add much to New Zealand's understanding of its greenhouse gas profile from farming, let alone help the government make policy decisions on climate change. However, they also said satellites might one day get to the point of being that accurate for agriculture and it could be good for the country to get in the tent with that kind of research. The agency's focus turned to leading some of that early-stage farming-related research. Again, the agency told RNZ last week improving New Zealand's own estimates of livestock gas was never part of the investment case for the mission. Ministerial briefings backed that up, Briefings to Ministers Megan Woods and David Parker say methane sat would have, quote, some capability to detect agricultural methane, but they make it clear its main focus was oil and gas. The main goals advertised to Ministers were building New Zealand's space industry and showing leadership on climate change, although New Zealand's cow and sheep belch issue was mentioned often in rationales. New Zealand's eventual $29.35 million commitment is mainly for the mission control, which will remain at the University of Auckland after MethaneSat's work is completed, but includes $6 million for research aimed at teaching the satellite and researchers how to measure farming methane from space. But some of the early promises stuck around in public statements. In 2020, NIWA's Sarah McAuliffe-Fletcher an expert at studying methane and carbon dioxide flows in the atmosphere, was named as lead scientist on the programme to train the satellite to measure farm gas. After being announced, she said, quotes, This project will give Aotearoa a clearer picture of our agricultural emissions, help us track the effectiveness of our emission reduction strategies, and establish us as world leaders in methane research. But what will it actually do? RNZ spoke to the space agency and Dr Mikolov Fletcher about how the farming side of the mission was going and what they expect the satellite to do when it launches. The space agency said EDF was always upfront about the fact that, unlike oil and gas, the research supporting MethaneSat's capabilities for measuring farming methane 
had not been completed. The non-profit was always keen for New Zealand to take the lead on that side of the work, the agency said. It's fair to say, they said, in the early stage of considering government investment in the satellite, there was a question about how capable the satellite was going to be, particularly in agricultural methane, which is where New Zealand's interests lie. That didn't turn out to be a strong use case after feedback, said Andrew Johnson, who works in space policy at the agency. But that didn't diminish the use case in terms of science, which is a new and developing area. That's an exciting and relevant part of the mission. It was a key motivator to be involved in that science, he said. Johnson said the mission was useful, even if it never accurately measured New Zealand's gas. I'm quoting from him. He said... As with all science programs, you're trying to discover what is possible, and it may turn out there are challenges actually when it comes to agricultural methane. It could be, it turns out, those challenges are greater than was thought when the science program was put together, but that in itself is progress, he said. Dr Mikolov Fletcher, the agricultural research leader for the mission, said she was always excited about the possibility of seeing farming methane from space. She was one of the scientists consulted back in 2018, and she told the ministry then there was an exciting opportunity to use New Zealand, an isolated nation surrounded by clean air and ocean, with excellent ground-up estimates of its farming methane, to train and test the satellite for use on farming methane. That's part of the project she's leading now. Asked if she was more optimistic than the others consulted in 2018, Dr Mikolov Fletcher said she was only ever asked if the satellite would detect farming methane, and she thought it would, just. Had she been asked if it would detect changes in the region of 10% during the mission, she might have been less optimistic, she said. As for what the satellite will be able to do, Dr Mikolov Fletcher was confident, based on aeroplane-mounted trials of its sensor over North America, that it would be able to detect methane plumes coming off intensive dairying regions in Waikato and the Canterbury Plains. Taranaki is also a possibility, however other areas are unlikely. I'm quoting her now, That's where I'm putting my money. Waikato and Canterbury Plains, Taranaki, other regions I wouldn't imagine we'd be able to detect it, she said. It's uncertain how well the satellite will be able to quantify these emissions and whether it will pick up changes small enough to prove the effectiveness of changes aimed at cutting greenhouse gases on the farm. After all, the mission has not even launched yet. Dr Mikolov Fletcher said it was unlikely the satellite would improve on New Zealand's ground-up estimates of farm methane, which were good already. However, it might be trained to give better information about agricultural methane in developing countries, which have poor ground-up estimates of livestock emissions, she said. What excited her was the satellite could sweep large areas, unlike the ground-based towers that are often used to pick up methane levels in the air. She and her team are collaborating with colleagues overseas on using algorithms to work out methane quantities, based on plumes detected from farming areas and after factoring in wind and other factors. She had an idea of what percentage change she believed the sensor could pick up, but didn't want to share it yet until she was more certain. I want to know whatever I say is right, she said. The ultimate goal of the research, which goes beyond this single mission, 
are still to get the satellite sensing to the point where it can accurately detect changes farmers might get on farm. Perhaps they buy a methane-cutting supplement or tweak their feeding regime. If farmers end up being asked to pay for gas-drinking technology for their animals, we owe it to them to independently verify that it worked, said Dr Michaelof Fletcher. The researchers have had longer than expected to do preliminary work because MethaneSat's launch was delayed from 2021, the expected window when ministers approved funding, to early 2024. The space agency said delays were not unusual with space missions and they had not diminished the project's value. It also said New Zealand was not committed to increase its funding. If the project suffered further delays and needed more money, putting an extra would be considered on its merits, the agency said. In the US, Jeff Bezos's Earth Fund has given EDF $100 million US dollars, equivalent to $171 million New Zealand dollars, which will be partly used to launch MethaneSat. OK, Q&A time. The reasoning that the funding was based on space missions... Look, it just doesn't wash with me. Why put so much money into an industry that's doing quite well, thank you, and this money seems to be sort of heading off to the US? A couple of things there. What the Ministry for Business Innovation and Employment would say, so our space agency, is that Rocket Lab is doing well, as distinct from the broader space industry. So their thinking is that we don't have much of a space industry outside of that one company. One out of the blocks, launching rockets from the Mahia Peninsula, which who would have thought when I was growing up on the East Coast, but that the broader industry and that kind of depth of expertise and high-paying jobs outside of Rocket Lab isn't there. So their reasoning for being involved in this project is to build that up and to try and kind of broaden the industry beyond that one company. In terms of the money, it's a, a lot of it is being spent here, to be fair. So the, the mission control has been set up at the University of Auckland, and that will stay there. So the, the lion's share of the money is going to set up and run that particular, you know, facility. facility. <laughs> and although Rocket Lab has got the contract to set that up, it will then be passed on to the University of Auckland, which will get to keep it and could potentially use it to run another mission should one come New Zealand's way. The $6 million for agricultural research, likewise, is going to NIWA. So, you know, a New Zealand crown-owned research institute. What will Auckland University do? Have they got a track record in space sort of related industries or discovery or research? I'm probably not the, the best expert to ask about that. But I know that a big selling point, if you like, is to build that up. So New Zealand was wanting a space mission to invest in when this came along and wanted to build up that capacity. And University of Auckland won the bid, if you like, to host that. They would certainly say that they'd like to run another mission from there afterwards. But I guess the question is, the satellite has been delayed so long, are people kind of twiddling their fingers now, waiting for this thing to get off the ground? Has that diminished its value? The space agency says no. It's kind of hard to know at this point, without mm. it having launched, whether it's going to deliver on these promises. So do you think New Zealand is a little bit naive here, that we're a bit of a soft touch when it comes to foreigners coming and saying, oh, you know, we love what you're doing. Would you please give us some money to do more? It wasn't entirely clear to me 
why New Zealand was approached for this. I mean, this is a a private not for profit and approaching a country's government. I think from their perspective, having a government involved and a government that does have a good reputation on the world stage, typically on environmental issues, was probably good. There was some doubt expressed in the email chains that I got under the Official Information Act about whether the project would be seen as as credible for New Zealand to be involved in, given that it wasn't another government doing it. It was it was a you know an organisation. So it, it it kind of it does feel like there were some evolving rationales going on there when the um you know when the decisions were made. Uh, I should be completely clear that the space agency says that neither having this thing launched from New Zealand, which didn't happen, nor having it able to improve our methane es- estimates were important, you know, in their minds. It was all about boosting our space industry and doing some interesting agricultural research on the side. But certainly in terms of uh, getting it over the line in New Zealand, there was a lot of discussion of our agricultural methane profile mm. that comes up in, you know, press releases and uh, briefings to the ministers and things all the time. So it certainly was used, um, I don't know whether it nudged it over the line, but it was certainly used as an additional factor to bolster why we should get involved. Why did they bother going to these three agencies that all said don't do it if they were going to do it anyway? Or were they kind of reaching and trying to get a yes, do it answer? A couple of things. They didn't say don't do it. They said, don't do it if you're doing it because you think it's going to improve our agricultural methane estimates and help formulate policy to reduce them. They said, it is not going to be able to do that. And uh, massively paraphrasing, if you think it is, you're dreaming. <laughs> so, but they didn't say, don't do it. They said, one day satellites might be able to do this. That would be kind of handy for New Zealand. And um, why not get in the tent and do some research? You know, that's not a bad idea. So they didn't say don't do it. They said don't do it for this reason, if this is why you think you're doing it. So when I asked the space agency about this, you know, hey, come on, this early pitch, it wasn't right. They said it's fair to say that in the early stages of scoping out, we discussed whether it would be able to do this. We were told it wouldn't. And we didn't proceed on the basis that it would. You do, though, see some of the public-facing statements after that still kind of implying that it will help New Zealand accurately measure uh, and track reductions to its methane. You know, things like, oh, you know, farmers will be able to tell if a new technology that they're using on their cows is working. Unless something incredible comes along, like a 30% knock to our methane, which there is for feedlot cows, but not for the grazing cows that New Zealand has. You know, that kind of level, maybe, um, but not in the, the smaller level that we're going to be achieving in the next few years while this thing is in the sky. You talked about being in the tent. I mean, is this like the Team New Zealand argument that we have to enter the race every year or we fall behind on the technology and we'll never win again? That they have to, you know, be on the ground level, understanding the technology in order to benefit down the track. Yeah, I think that's a a pretty fair analogy. The the feedback was that perhaps in future, satellites will be 
A, sensitive enough, and B, researchers on the ground will know how to extrapolate from what the satellite is seeing accurately enough that it could give us really useful information about our methane emissions. And of course, sooner than that, it can tell us about you know, massive herds of livestock in countries that don't have ground-up estimates. I mean, there are entire countries that don't have the kind of really accurate, excellent, probably world-leading estimates that New Zealand has from the ground up. So learning anything about those countries is probably going to help our understanding of methane globally. It's just not going to help New Zealand's understanding of its own methane. Yeah. I was really interested uh, in the phrase that it um, might be able to shut down rogue emissions. I mean, how? Is it like a laser beam from space or something? (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing for the climate? You could just kind of seal it off. Um, No. what? (laughs) The, The thing is that leaks from the oil and gas industry are not profitable to the companies. They're losing money. They're losing gas out of these pipes. It it benefits them not at all. So the argument goes that if you just tell them where the leaks are, they'll shut them down. So, And if they don't, there's the option of naming and shaming, right? right. So the first port of call is you say, hey, blah, blah country or blah, blah company, we've spotted this huge plume. You can see it from space. You're losing all this methane. Yeah, they'll do something about Give it. them a chance to do something so, so about it. So it's not the satellite that emits it. Mm, sadly, no, <laughs> but imagine like a laser kiwi in the sky that's what I was cauterizing these pipes. To be fair, I mean that would have been a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Let's talk a bit more generally about your work, Eloise. So, so for long as I've known you from your newsroom days, you've been such a, an amazing researcher and publisher of things all climate change. How did you make this a sort of core part of your journalism, and why? I always wanted to do science journalism because I love drilling down with people into the nerdy niche that they've dedicated their lives to researching. There is no topic in science that I can't find interesting. So I'm extremely curious and I love talking to scientists. Uh, I went to the States and got my Master's in Science Journalism so that I could do that Better. That was at some flash university. It was at a flash university. I went to Columbia. And of course, if you do your science journalism, you spend a lot of time learning about climate change. So I love doing all science journalism. I wish someone would solve climate change actually so that I could start just learning about the worms that live under the sea and stuff like that. But obviously, you know, I focus on climate because it matters, matters the most. So what's the biggest challenge about writing these stories, that what, that some people don't believe them or, um, you know, translating them into plain language? We know from opinion surveys that most people do believe in climate change. It's a pretty small, maybe 6 7%, and concentrated in older age groups that really don't believe in it. Most people accept that it's happening. They may just not believe that they can do anything about it. They may not believe that even governments can do anything about it. So there's a much bigger group that are disengaged than that actually don't believe. So the hard thing is writing and presenting news that they are interested in. And that is really tough. I mean, the easiest way to do it, I guess, is to pursue something that you find fascinating, some little quirk or something that's shocking or important or hopeful. But it is a real challenge, especially in the age of COVID, because people have got anxiety overload. And I completely understand that. You know, I don't read 
stories about child abuse because I'm like, I'm already in climate change. I can't deal with that as well. And I appreciate a lot of people feel that way about the climate crisis. So it's pretty tough. I don't know if we've actually cracked that, that problem yet. That was RNZ's climate change correspondent Eloise Gibson with a story on New Zealand's multi-million dollar investment in a methane satellite, published on rnz.co.nz. The details long read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We'll be back next week with another long read. Kakite anō.